It's good to be here in worship again this morning, and I hope that you have come excited about what the Lord is going to share with us today. I hope you didn't come just to hear what I have to say, because I don't have much to say. Whatever I say is not worth anything at all, unless it's based on the Word of God. Last evening we talked about drawing near and how God wants us to draw near. And I hope that as we listen to God's Spirit, that we could determine where we are, where we've been, and where we're going, and what needs to be done. But assuming that we have all drawn close to God, assuming that we are all near to God, as we talked about last night, then the command comes to hold fast. You can turn to Hebrews chapter 10 again this morning, but we have a commandment to hold fast. Why does God tell us to hold fast? The fact of the matter is, if you haven't drawn close to God and you're not holding fast, you do not have much to look forward to in life. You do not have anything to look forward to in eternity unless you have drawn close to God and are holding fast to God. What happens when we lose, when we, when we don't hold fast? Well, that means we let go, right? We don't want to let go. We're focusing on holding fast. This morning is certainly a subject that applies to us today as Christians. Every generation can say this, I, I'm sure. But it seems to me like it's more important than ever today to be sure we are holding fast. Things are changing. Things are shaking. The world is in turmoil. There's bad things happening. There's people suffering in Ukraine right now because of the atrocities that are being committed there. You see, a world is shaking. The things of earth are shaking. Are you sitting up and paying attention? These things are not going to be here forever. They're not going to continue as they always have been. Sometime, God's going to say, it is enough. It is over, it's done, and we will stand before him. Will, you, will that find you having been holding fast in your Christian life? People are living in fear. I read somewhere recently that there's been more searches on Google for nuclear war or about nuclear war in the recent month than there has been since Google was created. You know what that means? People are afraid. They're terrified. Who's going to be the first? Who's going to be the first to start the end? Well, I don't think the end's going to come that way. I think God's going to get the glory and the credit for burning up this old earth. I don't think it's going to be any world leader. Maybe he'll use them as part of it. I don't know. That's not for me to decide. But it seems like there's things happening that God wants us as Christians to sit up and pay attention. The things are winding down. Are you holding fast? I'm passionate about this because there's many, you know people, I know people. We have people in our communities who are rejecting God, who, are, who have once been close to God and are walking away from God and saying we don't need that anymore. We found something better or we really didn't. God doesn't mean that anyways. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do those things. 
Where do you find yourself this morning? Are you quaking in fear because of what the future holds? Or are you just holding fast to God? That solid rock that we just sang about. Thank you, brother, for leaving that song. What is your foundation? We can hold fast, but we've got to be holding fast to the right things, which we'll be looking at later. You know, there's some things that we can hold fast to, and they're going to disappoint us. You know, if there was a drowning man in the lake that you were trying to rescue, what would you throw to him? A rock? He could hold fast to that rock. Would it help him? Or would he die even more quickly? Or you can throw him a life preserver. Now that's something you can hang on to. What are we hanging on to? We don't need to be shaken along with the rest of the world since we have that solid rock to stand on. Let's read some verses here from Hebrews 10. And I, I think I'm just going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. We didn't read all of it last night. We just read a few verses. We're going to start at the beginning of the chapter, and we're going to read uh, down to about um, verse 25 or so. So let's, let's start with verse 1. Hebrews 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things that can, that can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the commerce thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be, a, to be offered, because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. We talked about that last night. The privilege we have of having our sins washed away. They couldn't do that. Verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, now wouldst not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldst not, neither hadst pleasure in them which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the which we are sanctified, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For but one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. We talked about the importance of those things last night. The faith, the true heart, having our hearts uh, free from evil. Then he says, and our bodies sprinkled or washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. 
And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fire indi fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And we're going to stop reading there. Probably should read on, but those are very special verses to us as Christians. So, first of all, the question, have you drawn near, and now are we holding fast? We live in a time when, as I said, it is more important than ever to hold fast, and that is because the days are becoming continually more evil. There is our focus, I shouldn't say our focus, the focus of the world is less on God and more on themselves, more on other things. That's, why, that's what Peter tells us, to be sober, to be vigilant. He says, I want you to be vigilant. Be careful because you have an adversary. Did you know you have an adversary? We came in here, we didn't think about this morning, I don't think. We didn't think about that adversary. What is that adversary trying to do? It's trying to destroy us, Right? And he says, you need to sit up and pay attention. You need to be careful because he's like a lion that is out looking for prey. And I wish we could get a better grasp of that. Satan is out to destroy you and I this morning. He doesn't care how it happens. He doesn't care when it happens as long as it's before you meet your maker. So you're with him forever. That's what he wants. He doesn't care if you're kind of into going to church occasionally. He doesn't care if you're kind of spiritual that's okay. He's got you. He wants passionate people. Now, if you were walking in a, in a jungle in Africa somewhere, I've never been to Africa, maybe some of you have. If you're walking through a jungle in Africa and you know the locals have told you, you got to be careful because that place is inhabited with lions. How would you walk? How would you walk those jungle trails? Like I said, I've never been in the jungle, but I imagine that foliage is thick and it's close to the trail and, and you're walking down that, that trail. What would you be doing? Skipping along? Or would you be like me in that situation? I think I would be scanning every branch, every tree, looking behind every bush because what do lions do? They will kill you. They will eat you, whatever they do. We would have a... We would have a a really uh, great sense of appreciation for what that lion could do to us. We would, pretty sure. How is it then that we can walk through the jungle of life sometimes and we forget to look behind the bush? We forget to scan the branches looking for that adversary that's there to take us out. My challenge to you to walk soberly and vigilantly in your Christian life. Because every one of us, yes, every one of us, has the potential to fall away and to let go of God and to get our focus somewhere other than God. We let go. We're going to hang on to something. I'm pretty sure that's just our human nature. We like to hang on to things. At least I've found that's how it is for me. I think that's okay as long as it's God that we're hanging on to. 
Hold fast. Well, let's move on here. Hold fast because many will fall away. That is why we're talking about this. Because many will fall away. Hold fast and stand fast. We're going to use uh, synonymously this morning. Uh, some of the verses were not that we, that we uh, mentioned will not talk about holding fast. They will talk about standing fast. But I believe they're one and the same. We hold fast, we stand fast. That means we are steadfast, unmovable. That means we grasp and hang on to God. We hold fast to God. The way we talked about the drowning man in the lake. You know, when he finally gets that life preserver, what does he do with that? He hangs on to that. It would be very difficult to pry that free from his fingers because he knows that's his only hope. That's how I like to envision us hanging on to God, gripping God, grasping God, holding fast to God. Something that, you know, Satan's going to try and pry our fingers off one by one and he's not successful because we know that it's life or death. Is that really how we see God this morning? Our relationship with God? I need to grow in that because it is so easy for me and I think maybe for you as well to get our focus off what really matters. The Bible is clear that in the last days there will be many that will fall away. I have a verse here you want to turn to it. It's in, in 1 Timothy 4.1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. The Spirit speaketh plainly. It's easy for us to understand what he's going to say. That in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. And we'll look maybe some other verses that, that change that wording a little bit. But he says some are going to depart from the faith. That's what we're concerned about this morning. We don't want anyone here to depart from the faith. I don't want to depart from the faith. But the Spirit tells us that in the last days, some are going to leave. Turn with me to Matthew 24. I'd like to read some verses there. Disciples were talking to Jesus and they were asking him a little bit, what is it going to be like? What's this going to look like at the end of the world? How can we know that we're going to be there? We'd like to have, you know, we kind of, we're not too well prepared with Jesus. And if you could help us out a little bit here, we'd, we'd appreciate that. seems like that's kind of the conversation they're having. You know, what are the signs? How will we know? And I'd like to read some verses from Matthew 24. Starting at verse 4, it says, And Jesus answered and said unto them, unto the disciples, Take heed that no man deceive you. I'm not going to make a lot of comments on these verses, but think about them as we read them. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, so that ye be not, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake." And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. Before it said some are going to fall away. Here it says many are going to be deceived. Verse 
and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end of the world come. I think we'll stop reading there. But I'd just like to back up to verse 12. It says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That includes all of us. It's a possibility for all of us. I'm not saying all of our love is going to wax cold. I'm saying we have the potential to wax cold. And when we start to wax cold, when we start to cool off in our spiritual life, our grip will loosen on that anchor. When we start to lose that passion, when we start to not be convinced anymore that this is the way we need to be, this is the way we need to go, this is the foundation that I need to be building on, when our love begins to wax cold, we begin to loosen our grip on those things of value. Are you holding fast this morning? Where are you now compared to 10 years ago? Where are you now compared to 30 or 50? Now, some of us can't go that far. You know, we can't live in the past, okay? I know that. But the past is there for a reason. And we can look back there. And we can evaluate our trajectory. We talked about our trajectory in, our, in the men's Sunday school class this morning. What is your trajectory? At the end of that, will it land you where you want to land? Is it going in the direction that you want to go? Sometimes I like to go hunting, and sometimes you buy ammo, and they have that little trajectory uh, graph on the back. And did you ever, if you know what I'm talking about, did you ever see that uh, graph where it shows like it was going up on its way to the target, and all of a sudden it turned around and came back? Did you ever see that in one of those graphs? I didn't. You see, it always continues that trajectory to the end. Somewhere it will fall back to the earth. That will fall back to the earth. Our trajectory, if it doesn't have Christ in it, is headed for eternal damnation. But I am thankful that on God's graph, that trajectory can do that U-turn we were talking about. We can be headed for destruction, and God gets a hold of us, and he brings us back. Well, that's not our subject this morning, but where are you compared to where you were? Sometimes we need to look back and evaluate exactly where we were going, where our life is taking us. And sometimes we don't like what we see. Sometimes we ignore what we see to our shame and to our hurt. Are you holding fast? Are you the same place you always were? You know, your commitment or desire to stand fast is determined by the value that you place on what you have and where you are. I'll read that again. Your commitment or your desire to stand fast is determined by the value you place on what you have and where you are standing today. If you don't believe that you're 
holding on to the right thing, you won't have you won't be passionate about tightening your grip on what you're holding on to. You see, that's going to be determined by how much value you place on Jesus Christ. How much value you place on your faith, holding the fast, the profession of faith, uh, Paul wrote there in Hebrews. Are you holding fast to the faith? Are you passing on to others what you believe is valuable? Or are you passing on to others what you value? You know, sometimes we say we value things. And we want our children to pick up on those. And we want our children to embrace those things. But we have to first, I have to first value those things if I want to pass them on. I can't just say I value them. I have to value them because my children will know if I said I value them or if I did value them. I don't know how children figure things out sometimes. They will know. So what are we to hold on to? So we're supposed to hold fast. What are we supposed to hang on to? And we already mentioned that. Is it religion that we're supposed to hang on to? If you have religion, are you good? Is that what we're supposed to hang on to? Or is it, um, is it Mennonite culture that we should hang on to? What about tradition? Is that, if we have tradition, are we good? Or if we hang on to our brotherhood agreement, is that what we're looking at this morning? Well, the answer to all those is no. Yes, some of them are valuable, and we'll talk about that. But no, I can hang on to religion, and it can be, I can be very misguided in my worship, my, my devotion to that religion, if it's not based on Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. That's what he said. He's the only one that could say that. Well, let's take a look at some of the things that we should hold fast to. First of all, we need to hold fast to the profession of our faith. A bold and open profession of the truths of the gospel. A faith that is rooted and grounded. When you have that, first of all, you have to get that faith. And then you need to hang on to that faith in Jesus Christ. We need to hold on to the profession of our faith. Paul challenged us to continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and not be moved, no, sorry, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven. He says, continue in the faith, grounded and settled. I get a picture, again, of that anchor we were singing about. An anchor with a heavy chain that binds us to that rock. Is your faith that important to you? How much would you give for your faith? If you were tested this morning, I'm going to tell you a little story later on, not right now, but kind of, kind of, uh, you know, puts that into perspective a little bit. We don't understand much about being tested in our faith the way many people are being tested in the world today. Would you die for it? Would I die for it? I would like to say, yes, of course, I would die for my faith. But I'm an untested man. You see, nobody ever came and said it's your faith or your life. 
See, I haven't ever been told that. What would I do if someone did tell me that? We are to hold fast the profession of our faith. Deuteronomy 10.20 says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave. And that word cleave simply means to hold fast, to grip, to cling to, to adhere to. So he says, To him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. Simply saying, we are to hang on to God. That's what we've been talking about all morning already. We need to hang on to God. That foundation What makes you tick? What are you hanging on to? To him shalt thou cleave. We say we hang on to God. Does our life show that we are hanging on to God? Does our life show that we value God? I, I love statistics, and, and probably more than I should. I, I, I just I love them. And here's some more for you. Talking about how much we love God. Regular church attendance, and I'm not saying, as I give this statistic, I am not saying in any way that coming to church saves you. Okay? Coming to church is important. Coming to church, we, we should be doing that. But regular church attendance has dropped from 70% in 1960 to just 20% in 2022. That's a huge drop in church attendance. And it goes on to say that since COVID, since 2020, that 28% of those who were regular church, pre-COVID church attenders, no longer attend church or even watch an online service. So I think it's important that we talk about holding fast. How easy is it for me or for you to stay home from church? You see, we, that, that's one of those things we, we tell our children, we need to go to church, we value church. Then they grow up and don't value it so much. We wonder why. When maybe they saw that we didn't value church and spiritual things like we should have. What I want to say by that is that if we value God, Paul tells us here in these verses that we are not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. People are not assembling the way they used to in the 60s and the 50s and before says something about our culture. Value church. December uh, Deuteronomy 13.4 says, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God, and fear him, and keep his commandments, obey his voice, and ye shall serve him, and there's this word again, and cleave unto him. Cleave unto God. Walk after him. Walk in his footsteps. Imitate him. Stay close to him. Did you ever, did you ever walk in the snow and watch your son or your, your little daughter try to follow you, you know, putting, your, putting their, their feet in, into your footsteps. Is that what you're doing with God? Like, God, I don't know where I'm going. I've never gone this way before, but I'm just going to put my feet in your footsteps as we go. That way I know I'm going to be safe. I'm going to stay right behind you. I'm going to stay right close to you. Do we value God like that? Do we fear God? We talked about fear Pretty much last night. The fear of the old covenant. I'm talking this morning about the reverential fear of God. Yes, we need that fear to do wrong. We need that fear to go against God. But we don't live in terror of God. <coughs> Keep his commandments. That's what I said there in Deuteronomy 13.4. 
Walk after the Lord your God, fear Him, and keep His commandments, and obey His voice. Are we doing all those this morning? You know that one about keeping His commandments and obeying Him? We struggle with that one sometimes. We struggle with obeying God and living out the details in our Christian life. We just want to have a good testimony for the Lord and then go live our life. Live the way we want to live. But Jesus specifically, or God has inspired the Bible writers to write that we are to obey God. We are to obey His commandments. And I don't think there's any of them that we can just say, you know what, that's not going to apply to me today. We're just going to ignore that one. Are we keeping His commandments? Are you embracing the faith? Luke asked the question. He said this, he said, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Is he going to find faith? When our Lord returns, is he going to find faith? Right here in this hall, is he going to find faith? I believe he will. But it's a good question to ponder. And I don't know what all was going through Luke's mind there, but he says, will he find faith on the earth when he returns? Yes, we say we're going to be faithful. Are our children going to be found faithful? Let's just say that God isn't, or Jesus isn't returning here in the next year or five. I don't know when he's going to come. Even Jesus himself doesn't know. So the Bible tells us. But should he tarry for 20 years, are my children going to be faithful? Those of you who have families and children, you know the passion that I feel. Are our children going to be faithful until the Lord returns? Am I passing on my values? Are they going to last the test of time? The threat is real. Don't relax your grip. That verse I read there in Matthew 24, 24, For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and to show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. I did not read that far. I didn't go that far in that chapter. But it says many are going to arise, and they're going to deceive people, even so much that the very elect are in danger of being deceived. That should encourage us. That should light the fire in our life, to be sure. To be sure that we are not deceived. What is the greatest danger of being deceived? It's that you don't know you're deceived, right? Will we stand faithful? The crown is at the end, and he is faithful that promise. You know, there's nothing worth giving up. Or that there's nothing worth embracing and hanging on to that is against what the Bible teaches that is worth it if we have to lose the reward in place of it. What is important to me? What is value to me? What is valuable to me? We need to hold fast to the Word of God. We said we need to hold fast to faith. Some of these are intertwined and overlap. We need to hold fast to the Word of God. Titus 1.9 says, Holding fast a faithful word. I love that. It's a faithful word. It's never going to change. We talked about that last night. God's never going to change. never going to change the rules on us. 
We are to hold fast to the faithful word of God, as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And I know he's talking about the qualities of a bishop there, holding fast to the word, but I believe it applies to all of us this morning. We need to hold fast to the word, the unchanging, faithful word. We need to value it. We need to show that we value it. We need to hang on to those truths. First of all, we need to get into those truths. We talked about that last night as well. Get close to the word. That's how we get close to God. One of the ways we get close to God. Take hold of that and don't depart from it. It's the only, in our shaking, quaking world, it's the only solid and safe foundation for you to build your life on and for you to build a life for your children, for your family, your posterity. It's solid and it's safe. Matthew 7, verses 24 and 25 say this, Jesus said, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. We all like to be a wise man, don't we? I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. You know, when we're founded on that true word of God, we will not fall. It will not fail us. We can fall, but we, it will not fail us. The word is sure. Stay close to it. It is our safe guide in this dark and evil world. Matthew 5.18 says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till it be fulfilled. It's not going to change. It's the same yesterday, today, forever. Even the people discredit it. They laugh at it. They mock it. Does that change what the Word of God says? You know, we have this problem. I shouldn't say we, but yes, sometimes it's even me. We want to take the Word of God and it says this, but I want to make it say this because that's more compatible with where I want to go. Did you ever do that? Can we do that? Can we change it? No. It doesn't matter who laughs. It doesn't matter who mocks or ridicules. Well, we need to prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. That's in 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Hold fast that which is good. There's a lot of things out there that are not good. You don't have to look far until you see things that are not good. We want to hang on to things that are good. Brothers and sisters and young people, youth, there is nothing that the world has to offer that is worth letting go of God. We have a, uh, it's not, not in our church, but a man who, who spent his, well, he, he, was, he was not born or raised in a Christian home. He uh, grew up in a setting that, where God was not very important. And somewhere in his youth, early 20s, he came into a conservative Christian church. And his testimony today is this. He says, it really bothers me the way I see our, and and he was not much more than a youth at that point, it really bothers me the way I see our youth, and put anyone in there, passing me in the direction I came from. He said, I'm coming from the world, and they're going out there. And he said, what are they thinking? There's nothing there. He had just come from there, remember? He says, there's nothing there. What are they thinking? 
you know, it seems we're talking about holding fast that which is good. It seems like sometimes we try to get so close to the world, we don't want to be in it. But we like the things they do, at least some of them. We want to get real close, as close as we can, of course. You know, we're born-again Christians and have a heart that is set to follow God. The gap will continually become, become greater and greater between us and the world. As we get closer to God, we get farther from Satan and his kingdom. We can't follow God and be on fire for him and be skirting the boundaries of the world. You see, our trajectory is going that direction or that direction. It's not kind of just seeing how close we can get to the world without being in it. Hold fast that which is good. Another thing we need to hold fast to, we find in 2 Timothy 1.13, it says, Hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Now what exactly was he saying there? He says, hold, for, hold fast the form of sound words. Far too many people are listening to words this morning that are not sound. I see it happening in close family, close relatives who once were convinced that God was the only way, were convinced that they needed to follow what the Bible said. And now they're following people who are saying, you don't need to do that. You are in bondage. You just need to find freedom in Christ. You've heard those things, haven't you? And we see people, and, and, and as I say this, I want to be clear that you don't think, I think that our conservative Mennonite church back home is the only place you can be a Christian because that's not true. But brothers and sisters, we have something valuable that we need to hang on to and not toss away because of some new way that is being promoted. A new way that kind of appeals to us. We live in perilous times. We need to listen to the right voices or we will find ourselves in a place we did not plan to go. I'm thinking of a young, well, he's not so young. He's about my age, I guess. So he is pretty young. <laughs> There's a man I'm thinking of who has taken his family from a very, what we would maybe today call an ultra-conservative church, where there is, I mean, your, your form is what saves you. They have started the journey. They have really never stopped moving away from God. Today, I see things on Facebook that he posts that are not biblical. But he is still promoting them as the path to Jesus Christ. Hold fast the form of sound words. How does it say that? Hold fast the form of sound words. If we listen to something long enough and hear it often enough, 
and don't test it against the Word of God, we will likely begin to believe it, even if it's false. You see, Satan takes enough, he mixes these things up. You know, if he came in here and said, you know what, you don't need to do anything you're doing anymore. Just forget the Bible, forget all that stuff. Here is a new and better way. We would reject that, right? I believe we would. You see, he makes he mixes this thing up, so he makes it palatable to our spiritual taste buds. So, like, yeah, that's yeah, that doesn't sound that bad. That's not that much of what we're doing, or that's not that much different than what we're doing. You see, we start down a path that is dangerous, very dangerous. And yet, even as these people walk away and change just about everything they used to do. Yet their testimony is strong. And I have to tell you that this man I'm talking about, I don't think I ever heard his testimony when he was, when he started, back when, it, in, when he was in that uh, very conservative church. I don't think I ever heard his testimony. He was doing all the right things, but he didn't have a testimony. Now it seems like he's doing all the wrong things, but he has a testimony. And I'm not here to judge that man this morning, but it does seem like, according to the Word of God, he is at a place that is not safe for him to be. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. I'd like to read some verses here. Again, it's kind of more of the same as what we have been reading. But the uh, 2 Timothy 3, I'm going to start reading at verse 1. It says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For many shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false, accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heavy, or sorry, heady, High-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women, laden with sins, and led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let's drop down to uh, um, chapter 4, verse 1. It says, I charge thee, therefore, before God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned aside unto fables." But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of that ministry. And I'm going to stop reading there. But it says we are going to, there's a time coming when people will reject the truth. They will not tolerate it. That's what he says. They will not endure sound doctrine, but they will, after their own lust, they will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We can't heap to ourselves teachers that please our itching ears and expect to be holding fast to God and end up in the right place. We need to hold fast to the truth. That's what we need to be holding fast to. They will not endure sound doctrine. They may even persecute us for it. 
But that doesn't change the word. You see, it's still going to be the same. Are you holding on to something that will not change? Some verses we should turn to in Galatians 1, but we don't have time to go there. But Galatians 1 is challenging us not, <clears throat> not to believe another gospel. The challenge is do not believe another gospel. He says, even if an angel from heaven comes and preaches the gospel to you that does not match up with the gospel I have already given to you, do not believe it. You know, if an angel from heaven came and started preaching to us, would we tend to believe it? Well, of course, I think we would. He's, he knew that. He's saying, even if that were to happen and it goes against what I already gave you, don't believe it. It's false. Stick to what the truth is. And in those verses, Paul says, I marvel that ye are so soon turned away. Church of Galatia, he's talking to you. I marvel that ye are so soon turned away from Christ to another gospel. Interesting that he calls it another gospel. He says, you are so quick. You have so quickly been turned away. How does that happen? Were they holding fast or weren't they? Are we holding fast or are we going to be turned away so quickly to another gospel? Just the way they were talking, just the way Paul was talking about here. You know, there's so many Christians today that are migrating. They're on a, a migration to find something better, something more fulfilling. Finding greener pastures somewhere else. They set up camp here, and soon they're gone. And then they're gone again. Sometimes we have to find a place we believe is biblical, and we need to put our roots down. We need to stay there. I am not currently in the same church that I started in. And at one point, when we came into Hope Fellowship, which was almost 30 years ago, I came there, and I was pretty vocal about the fact that this is the right church, and there is... Nothing here that I will not ever be able to agree with and support. You know, when we're young, we say things like that pretty boldly. How long do you think it went until I wanted to rescind that statement? It might have been a year. I'm not sure. Until I ran up against some things that I didn't agree with. Some things were happening that I didn't like. And I'm not saying they weren't biblical. They were. I just use that as an example of what happens in church life. I had decided a year before this was the place to be, absolutely. And a year or two later, I'm thinking, I'm probably just going to have to find another church that I can fit into a little bit better. And thank God he stopped me there, and I'm still there. But I'm convinced that had I kept on going, the next church I'd have gotten to would have been the same. It would have been great when I got there, and a year or two or five later, I wouldn't have been happy. You see, Satan makes sure that we, aren't, we, don't, we don't get too satisfied with that. He makes sure there's something comes out that we don't like. Kind of nudge us on. Let's be careful. I am not saying that it's wrong to change the church. Don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying that when you do, be sure God is leading you. 
there's other things we could say there, but I guess we'll move on. How important is it to hold fast? What I said before, if we don't hold fast, it will land us where we didn't want to go. But how tightly are you holding fast to God and to his word? Here's a story I was talking about. How important is your faith to you? How important is the word to you? How important is God to you? I'm not sure where this happened, which country it was. But the soldiers had discovered an illegal Bible study. The leading officer pointed his gun at the pastor's head and he said, hand me your Bible. Of course, the pastor reluctantly handed him his Bible and the soldier threw it onto the floor. He threw the word of God onto the floor at his feet and he said, we will let you go, but first you must spit on this book of lies. Anyone who refuses will be shot. I imagine that happening here this morning. We can't hardly imagine that. We can't wrap our minds around that. But just suppose we could. Anyone who refuses will be shot. A soldier pointed his gun at one of the men and said, you go first. The man came, knelt down by the Bible, and even though he was weeping, he spit on the Bible. They parted and said, okay, you can go. He walked out the door. Okay, you, the soldier said, nudging a woman forward. In tears, she could barely do what the soldier demanded. She spit only a little, but it was enough, and they let her go. Quietly, a 16-year-old girl came forward. She knelt down and picked up the Bible. She wiped off the spit with her dress and said, What have they done? To your word, please forgive them. She prayed. The soldier put his pistol to his head, to her head, and he pulled the trigger. You know, she passed the test. She was holding fast. And I wonder if that story would be about my church back home. Would there be anyone that goes out the door? Would it be me? Would it be you? You see, what happens then is determined by what happens now, I think. If we don't value the Word of God now, we would be the one to sit on the Word and save our life and walk out the door. Christ told the church at Thyatira, Revelation 2.25, He says, But that which, thou, that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. This is important, brothers and sisters. We need to be holding fast. We need to be holding fast now, or we won't be holding fast when the true test comes. But he says to the church at Thyatira, hold fast that which you already have. And there was a lot of unfaithfulness in that church. They had allowed Jezebel to come in. They had, uh, which I believe means they were a church of, of uh, were allowing immorality and pride and all that stuff that goes with Jezebel, fornication, idolatry. But there were still some that were faithful. And this message was for them. Hold fast that which you already have. Don't let go of it. He says if I, if, if we would go and read those verses, you would find that he says if, if you hold fast, I will give you the morning star. 
And I'm not sure what exactly that morning star means, but I believe it just simply means that we will have the reward of eternal life. We will have Jesus. We will have that reward. That's only if you're faithful. If you hold fast. So we can conclude that the opposite must be true then as well. If we are not willing to hold fast that which we have, we will not receive the morning star. He doesn't say that, but it's implied. Are you holding fast? Church at Sardis, <coughs> Revelation 3, verse 3 says, Remember therefore thou how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Let's just turn to Revelation 3. I'd like to read some of those verses. I won't keep you much longer. But I'd like to read these verses because I would really like us to think about them. This church was a church that I think if we'd have walked into that church on a Sunday morning, I believe we might have thought that church had it together. I think that's the kind of a church it was. Revelation 3, verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, and that thou hast a name, and that thou art... And... Let me start over. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, and hold fast, and repent, if therefore thou shalt not watch... I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee, come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same will be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Write these things. Well, let's stop there. We're going to another, another church. But I get the picture of this church. They had a name. They were well recognized in the community. They had a name that that church is alive over there. That, that church is alive. They had a name that they live. But what did the Spirit say? He said, you're dead. You aren't alive. You're dead. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. He says in verse 2, I have not found your works perfect before God. You know, they, they appeared to be holding fast. They appeared to be doing everything right. But there was something there that God said is not right. And I don't know what your church is like here. I come in here it looks pretty good. It looks like you're all doing a good job. But you see, I can only see on the outside. I can't look way down, just like you can't look way down in here and see what's really there, what really, what I really am. As God, if He was sending us this, one of the 
that same spirit to us this morning. And he would ask me to step aside and he would speak to you. See, now, now that's a game changer. Now he knows what's going on way down in here. So what would he have to say? If we gave him five minutes to speak, what would he have to say? Well, let's remember that God is expecting us, if we want to be with him in glory and share in that beautiful, endless, glorious time, we need to hold fast what we have. And in fact, he says, hold fast what you have, but go back and do the things that you've been taught to do. So we may have to go back first and then hang on. We talked about those verses where he talks about the form of godliness in in 2 Timothy 3. He talked about the form of godliness. I wonder if that's what they had here. A form of godliness. There was no power. They looked good. What did Jesus call those people when he was walking here on earth? Didn't he call them whited sepulchers? Something like that. Inside, you're full of dead men's bones. Well, sometimes we go to the other extreme and we throw out the form and everything with it and say it's just the godliness that matters. Well, you see, that's another side of the coin. I think we need both. We need form and we need godliness. It's biblical. You know, traditions are something we often hear brought up. Somebody becomes dissatisfied with the church and say, well, you're just a bunch of traditional people. You know life, no life here, you just you just do church with dead formality. And you know what? Sometimes they may be right. Is that the tradition's fault? Or isn't it? Is that the tra- tradition's fault or is it my fault? Second Thessalonians two fifteen says, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold fast. No, I added a word there. It says, Therefore, stand Brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, I've been told that traditions, or we've been told, traditions stifle spiritual growth, don't they? At least when somebody doesn't appreciate the traditions, that's what we hear. They're often viewed as negative. But I'd like to remind us that it doesn't matter whether it's church we're talking about or culture, family, whatever. You will have traditions. What are traditions? They're simply the way we do things over and over and over again. They're the way we pass things on. They're the way you will pass on your faith by doing things over and over and over again as long as they're the right things. Traditions are good. You know where the problem comes in? You know what I'm going to say. When we start to raise the traditions that we have to a level they're not supposed to be raised to. How did Jesus say that? He said, you have taken for... Oh, maybe one of you can help me. You, you've raised... You've ta- yes, something like that. You have, made, you have made the traditions of men to be like the Word of God. And I have a problem with that, the way he was conveying. Did he say in that... Or right, let's throw them out. Get rid of them. No, he said they need to be in the right perspective. They need to have the right value, the right place. We can't lift them up equal to this book. 
Because they aren't. They're man-made. Yes, they're based, hopefully, on the Word of God. But if you are anti-tradition this morning, I just remind you that you will be traditional in how you do things. Over and over and over again, that's what a tradition, that's what a tradition is. Your children will be able to look back on their childhood and say, these were the traditions in our home. Because it's what we always did. Well, that verse we, we, we talked about this a little bit last night. I'm just going to remind us again this morning. Jesus talking to the hypocrites. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy to you, saying, this people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine to commandments of men. I should have read a little bit further, and I got that verse written right down here. I think that's where the church at Sardis found itself. Well, in conclusion, Hebrews 2, verse 1 says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed. That sounds like holding fast, doesn't it? We ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, provided they're based on this book right here, provided they're biblical. We need to give earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You see, when things start to slip is when our grasp starts to loosen and things start to slip. Give earnest heed that that doesn't happen. And a closing word of encouragement from Apostle Paul's writings uh, to the saints there at, at Philippi. In Philippians 1, I'm going to read two verses to you. It says, this is verse 27 to 28 of Philippians 1, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I am come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. I would just like to highlight that part about standing fast in the spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. God bless you.